So sometimes, a lot of times I'd say in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, uh, the author, whoever's writing whichever book or whichever letter, will make a reference to something in the Old Testament that if we're not familiar with it, uh, some of the meaning, or maybe a lot of the meaning, can be lost on us. And I think this is something that happens um, a lot, especially in the letter to the Hebrews. So, so just a little bit of context. The letter to the Hebrews is written to a group of Hebrew people, uh, of course, and they're, they're Jewish converts. So people who were raised Jewish, and they have heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ proclaimed, and they believed it. So they converted, they became Christians. And in becoming Christians, what does that mean? It, well, it, it carries with it, well, we don't have to practice the Jewish law anymore, and so we, we don't. And what's more, we don't, we don't go to temple the same way that the Jewish people would still go to temple. So there's, there's a lot that happens there, but, but it's, it's not just the sort of practical things, but it's also not all, not all of their families believed it, you know? So, so if not all of their families believed the gospel, that means that they still had family and friends who not only still embraced the Jewish religion, but they openly rejected the gospel of Jesus. And they openly reject Christians because if the Christians aren't going to temple, that means they're breaking the Jewish law. And if the Christians aren't, aren't following all of the Jewish laws, that means they're breaking the Jewish laws. And if you're breaking the Jewish laws, well, there are consequences to that. So what, what's happening with this group of, of Jewish converts, Jewish Christians, is, is that they're finding their family and their friends are rejecting them. They're persecuting them, treating them poorly. They're like excommunicating them from the family, cutting them off. Right? So you gotta, you got to try to imagine this because we don't, in America, in, in 2022, we don't really hold convictions as much like this, right? It's, it's like we're, we're all about tolerance. And so we don't, we don't have many people. There are still some people who hold to this, that, that if someone in their family converts to Christianity or converts to Catholicism from, from a non-Christian place or from maybe a Protestant denomination and they convert to Catholicism, sometimes their families will be really stern with them. But, but mostly, mostly which is sort of tolerant, right? So you got to try to imagine being in this position where, where you're a person who has embraced Jesus. But, but in embracing Jesus, you know that there are consequences to that, which is that your family is going to start treating you poorly and, and you're going to be rejected by a lot of people. And so these people, whether they, they saw this or not, they're finding that it's really hard because, because they love their family, right? They, and they, they, they love... They love all the connections that they've had with people in the past. And so you can imagine what's one of the temptations going to be to go back. You can, you can really imagine it. And this is something that whether even, even when our family doesn't treat us in a particular way, when we hear about the demands actually of the gospel, when we hear about the commandments of Jesus, right? Like, like last week when we heard him say, strive for the narrow gate. That's a really hard thing. And, and so we're kind of faced with this decision, just like these people, we're faced with this decision to say, do I really believe this? You know, like, I, I, I know that I say that I believe in Jesus, but I, it's not something that I can see. It's not something that I can tangibly feel. And so it's, I have to kind of decide, like, the connections that I have, my love for my family, or, or really more, more maybe my, my displeasure about being mistreated is so strong that I just, I sort of feel like it's not going to be worth it in the end if, 
if I don't really believe in heaven? In, in, in some ways, our, our gospel is like that, right? Jesus talking about being repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, right? If, if, I, don't, if I don't really believe in heaven, this, this eternal perspective, then it's going to be a lot more difficult for me to embrace the more difficult teachings of Jesus. And it's the same for these Jewish converts. If they don't, if they don't really believe in Jesus, it's going to be really hard to embrace these more difficult moments. And so what the author of the letter to the Hebrews is doing is he's basically saying, like, look, I know what you're experiencing, uh, and, and yet I want to encourage you, challenge you to hang in there. Because what God has done in the person of Jesus is so much greater. And, and if you read the letter to the Hebrews, it's, I think it's one of the harder, if not the hardest letter of the New Testament to read. But, but if you read it and you have an understanding of the Old Testament, you'll notice the author is constantly referring back to what's written in the scriptures. Because for the Jewish people, they didn't have an Old and a New Testament. They just had the scriptures. So he's constantly referring back to the scriptures saying, yes, look what God did and how this is so amazing, how he did this. But now look at what God has done in the person of Jesus and how it's even more amazing. What God did before was great. And it's just like, it's incredible that God would speak to his people and give them like a law and a way of life. It's, it's incredible that he would show them how they can sort of maintain a connection with him. That's amazing. But now look what he has done in the person of Jesus. That it's not just that he's shown him, shown us how we can maintain a connection, but, but, but now God has come down in the person of Jesus. So that, so that it's not just Jesus like communicating us like this is what God says, but it's, it's Jesus is communicating to us as God, right? Like, it's amazing. So the author is trying to get it like, don't, don't go back because, because it will be worth it in the end. Heaven is real. And, and so don't, like, I understand this is hard, but, but, but don't turn back. So, and this, this is what he's getting at here uh, in, in our, our passage today. So, so he makes a reference to something in the Old Testament uh, and then he points ahead to something greater that God has done in the person of Jesus. But I think for a lot of us, because we don't really talk about the Bible and we don't read the Bible, we don't, we don't catch the reference as easily. So, so here's, the, here's the reference. This is how our second reading began. Brothers and sisters, you have not approached that which could be touched and a blazing fire and gloomy darkness and storm and a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words such as those who heard begged that no message be further addressed to them. So that's the reference. So now, pop quiz, raise of hands. How many understand where this is coming from? Does anyone know the reference? Yeah, exactly, right? See, we're not as familiar. And so for us, it, you know, like we come to mass and, you know, it's, it's mass. And so we know that it's mass and it's good. And at the same time, we hear the word of God and, and the church wants the word of God to do something to us, you know? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't want us to be ignorant. And so just maybe an encouragement for you to, to pick up your Bibles. And I know that it's not always easy to understand the Bible, but there's something meritorious about simply reading it and trying to understand it. So anyway, the, this is the reference. The reference is this. So, so we know this uh, back in the Old Testament, right, that, that God's people are enslaved in Egypt. We find this in the book of Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible. They're enslaved in Egypt. God calls Moses, right, to say, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that he's got to let my people go so that they can offer worship to me. Moses goes to Pharaoh. We know the story. Pharaoh is hard-hearted. He doesn't let them go. And so then the 10 plagues take place, right? The, the locusts and the frogs and the, the water turns to blood and the darkness comes and the gnats and the flies 
and the, the animals get a pestilence, and then eventually the firstborn son dies. But the, the Israelites are saved through the Passover lamb. Then Pharaoh finally lets them go, right? So they go, they run into the Red Sea. The Red Sea splits in two. The people walk across on dry land. And just as they're being pursued by the Egyptians, they get across and the, the waters come back down upon them and drown all the Egyptians. It's an amazing thing. But then what happens when, when they get across that and they're, they're on their way to the promised land, it becomes very clear very quickly that the people were enslaved in Egypt, but, but they actually started to take on some of the false religious practices of the Egyptians, worshiping false gods, and not being attentive to what God, the Lord, wants for them. And so God says, okay, I need to give them this law so that they can understand how they, they need to live. I need to give them a way of life so that they can be, clearly be revealed as my people. That's what he does. So he gives them the law, and he does it through Moses, right? Moses goes up the mountain, and as he's up on the mountain, what does it say in chapter 19? It says that on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Right, so when, when the author of the letter to the Hebrews is talking about uh, you have not approached that which could be touched, right? Just like the mountain could be touched. They weren't supposed to touch it, but the mountain could be touched, right? Sensible things and a blazing fire and gloomy darkness and storm and a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words such that those who heard begged that no message be further, right? So there's, he's talking about their sensible things, right? You haven't, you haven't approached that. And in fact, in, in the next chapter, it talks about now when all the people perceived that the thunderings and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will hear. But let not God speak to us, lest we die. Right, so we gotta, we gotta, try, to, we gotta try to imagine this, right? We don't, we don't have mountains. We have, like, piles of gravel, right? Like, we don't have much. Sometimes we have piles of snow. If you go to Crooks, closer to Crookston, you'll see piles of sugar beets, right? Well, but we don't, have, we don't have mountains, right? So, so you gotta try to, like, imagine this. You're standing at the mountain, and, and you see this guy, Moses, who's clearly been, like, God has chosen him to lead us. Right? And you see him go up this mountain, and before he goes up the mountain, he says, don't you dare touch the mountain. Because if you touch the mountain, you, God says you're immediately going to die. So you're just like sort of standing, and you watch him go up, and as he goes up this mountain, you know, like sometimes you see people climbing things, you can kind of follow them as they're going up. But suddenly, like, the mountain is, is encompassed by this thick cloud, smoke. And, and suddenly, you hear this roaring thunder, roaring thunder, and you see lightning. And then out of nowhere comes this loud trumpet blast. And it says, it says that the, the trumpet just got louder and louder and louder, and that eventually the whole mountain began to shake, right? So like, this isn't just like an intellectual experiment, but you gotta try to, you gotta try to imagine like a whole body, you know, like I almost wish, almost wish like the Lord would miraculously provide like an earthquake for us. Didn't happen. Okay, so like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta imagine, right? Like you're, you're, you're shaking. You're shaking and like everything around you and there's just loud, it's like sensory overload, right? Sensory overload and it's just like, what the heck is going on? And I don't, where did Moses go, right? And it's just like, it's terrifying. It's like legitimately terrifying because, because you know that God is doing this. And, and, uh, and in, in the Old Testament, it talks about, like God says, he tells Moses, no one can see my face and live. And so, so, and I know this is kind of weird because we don't really talk about God in this way, right? We don't really talk, but, but 
we have to understand, like, God is holy. And for God to be holy, like, he is so radically different from us. So radically different, so much greater, so much more powerful than we truly understand. He's so mighty. And so you're you're experiencing all this. And so then it makes sense that the the response is like, okay, okay, Moses, we, we don't want God to talk to us anymore because when God speaks to us, everything shakes. When God speaks to us, we are scared out of our minds. And so, you know what, how about this, Moses? How about, how about God speaks to you, and then you can speak to us, right? So you see how Moses becomes this mediator. And this is what happens. He goes up the mountain, he receives the Ten Commandments, and then he comes down, and he delivers the Ten Commandments to the people. Because, because it's too terrifying for God to speak to them. So that's, that's the reference. So the author is saying, you haven't approached that. But instead, what does it say? No, you have approached Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and countless angels and festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and God, the judge of all and the spirits of the just made perfect and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. What's what's he saying? He's saying, what God did in the Old Testament is legitimately terrifying. And legitimately, it's something that, that shakes you out of your complacency and grabs your attention so that you beg, like, I don't want God actually to come close to me because, because he's, he's terrifying and he's so holy and he's so powerful. I don't, I don't want that, right? And, but he's saying, no, that's, that's not what you are anymore. But instead, what has God done? God has done in the person of Jesus. He's come down. So that, so that what we come forward to now it is, is we're, we're approaching God's mountain still, right? This is, and this is super important, you guys. It is the same God in Jesus that is found in the Old Testament, the same God. So when we talk about coming to, to Mass and, and, and approaching the altar of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord to receive Jesus himself, right? When, we're, when we talk about that, you got to ask yourself, like, how am I approaching this? Am I coming casually as though, you know, and sometimes we can have this mentality, it's just too easy for us sometimes that we can have this mentality that just says, you know, God's kind of lucky that I'm here this week. Like, how fortunate of him that he gets to be in my presence. Or, you know, it's God, I'm so generous. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes of my night before I fall asleep every day. When instead it's like, no, like, this is the same God. We should be approaching, now we're approaching in such a way that we can see that Jesus is superior, right? That, that we don't actually have to tremble necessarily. When we come to Mass, it, there isn't an earthquake every time. But at the same time, right, when we come forward, do you understand that you are coming to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and that when you come into the presence of the living God, you are coming into the presence of a being who is so mighty and so powerful and so holy. And so when you're here, there there ought to be, in a real sense, this, this sort of like, oh my God, where am I right now? How privileged am I that I can come to approach the mountain of the Lord of hosts? And in approaching the mountain of the Lord of hosts, I don't, I don't have to fear death in the same way that they feared death in the Old Covenant. I don't, I don't have to fear 
in the same way, but at the same time, I'm coming into, and it's not just that I'm coming into the presence, right? But that, that, that Jesus comes down, like he comes down and he brings with him all of heaven, right? The countless angels and festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and God, right? God comes down. He comes down, you know, like the, we got, we got to shift our perspective here. We got to totally like this, when I can look at it from this perspective, it's, it's not about like what I get out of mass. It's not about like, gosh, the homily was a little too long this week. Or, oh, you know, I wish the music would be better. That doesn't happen here, right? But, <laughs> right? but like, it's not about me and it's not about you, you guys. But instead, what is it? It is about God inviting us to come forward and offer our worship to the one who has given us everything. It's like to let yourself be caught in awe. And in fact, we pray for this. We pray for that. I know how easy it is to tune out during the opening prayer, but let me remind you what we prayed for. God, God of might, giver of every good gift, pour into our hearts the love of your name so that by deepening our sense of reverence, you may nurture in us what is good and by your watchful care, keep safe what you have nurtured, right? So somehow, somehow by God pouring into our hearts the love of his name, right? So that is to say, as we grow to love God more and more and more, somehow that also is meant to deepen our sense of reverence. What is reverence? Reverence is a deep respect for someone or something tinged with awe. It comes from the Latin word reverere, which is to stand in awe of. And so we can sort of ask ourselves these questions, right? Like, do you love God? Now, I'm sure, I'm sure hopefully all of us would say yes, of course. Then the next natural question is, do you find yourself growing in reverence toward him? So that, so that when you come into his presence, whether it's in your personal prayer time at home or when you come to mass to worship God, do you find yourself caught in awe of where you are so that like, if people try to talk to you, you're just like, I'm not, I'm not interested. So that it's, it's, I'm, not, I'm not coming looking to be fed, but instead I'm just like, what the? This is so amazing. God comes down to me and and. And it's not just that he comes down, but he invites me to come and to be with him. And, and right, and the, like I could just look at him in awe and in wonder. And I, I don't care about what I get out of it. I don't care about how I feel about this. But instead, I, I just, I'm just caught in the mystery that is before me, in the mystery of the person of Jesus. And I just, I want to be so attentive to him. I want to be so reverent because this is a mystery that not everybody sees. It's a mystery that I, I can look around the church and I can recognize, maybe I don't know who sees it and who doesn't, but I just know that even people who come to church, not everybody understands what's going on. And so if I understand that, or if I want to understand that, I'm just like in mystery and in who am I, Lord, that you have given me such a gift of yourself? And I just pray, I just pray, Jesus, I pray, Father, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to pour this love into my heart and into the hearts of the people around us. 
deepen our sense of reverence so that when we come here to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, our eyes can be opened to see, our ears can be opened to hear the trumpet blast as you come down to us and make yourself known to us, revealing yourself to us, we offer our worship in reverence and in awe to you, to you alone. Amen.